0: It is midday, Tuesday, February 9th. This is the macro setup brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Nadex, the fastest growing U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. I'm here with my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Markets at all-time high, euphoria all around. That fear of missing out is permeating the market, Dan. Here we are, my man.
1: Well, we got FOMO, as you said, you got YOLO. Um, what other four-letter words or acronyms might you
0: uh, use to describe what's going on here? Listen, I, use... I'll give you one real quick. I, I'm <laughs> yeah. going to give you JOMO, J-O-M-O, and that's the joy of missing out because right now I'm sitting back and watching some of these things, and I'm actually happy that for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm safe on the sidelines because some of this stuff is nuts, Dan, but I know you got some thoughts as well.
1: Well, listen, you know, it's like anything, right? It's just like let your profits run and and cut your losses. Like That's a really important theme as far as investing. When it comes to trading, it's really hard, right? If you're getting a lot more granular, um, especially when you're trying to consider some of these like kind of near-term inputs, it does feel a bit euphoric. Here we are, you know, we're less than six weeks into 2021. We do not have this virus um, in the rear view mirror yet. Much of the world is still um, locked down to some degree. And we have equity markets, at least here in the U.S., just screaming higher. You know, we have the S&P 500 up 4% on the year. We have the NASDAQ up nearly 9% on the year. We have the Russell 2000 small caps up over 16% on the year. It is February 9th. So I guess the question you have to ask yourself, if you've been enjoying these gains Um, You know, what is the potential for a pullback? You know, there was a really interesting tweet. Tom Lee, um, the founder of Fundstrat, a very, very good um, strategist who comes on our show um, a lot. He made this point on Twitter yesterday I thought was really interesting. He said something like the best investors that he knew knows do not sit and obsess about corrections when a 10% correction in any risk assets is going to happen. And that makes sense. But I think what we're trying to do in the macro setup is really spot, uh, speak to traders. Um, and just how Kramer, Jim Kramer likes to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I think you could take it the other way too, especially when you're thinking about trading.
0: Yeah. And I do believe the higher this thing goes, the, 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 the dicier and, and the more, um, uh, the more, the more, um, I guess the speed and alacrity of a sell-off is gonna happen, if I may yeah. use those terms. It just, you know, it just stands to reason. And you know, one of the things you mentioned about the virus is I think some of the comments from Dr. Scott Gottlieb yesterday on CNBC really got some people excited, basically saying by potentially by the end of the March, we could be in a situation where the majority of this country Uh, is vaccinated i think that's a little bit of wishful thinking but you know he put it out there and i think the market responded to it those those reopening trades as it were exploded and i think to your point that manifests that has manifested itself in the russell and that continues to manifest itself in the russell but to think that this thing will be a continued straight line to recovery i think grows more foolish and foolish by the day that's just my opinion dan Yeah, well, you put that together, though, with the
1: potential for the Biden administration of putting through one point nine trillion dollars in stimulus through this budget reconciliation. We know that there's obviously a lot of Republicans who think that's um, way too much. And and I guess it would just say that strategists, market strategists or uh, economists, you know, are looking at it by saying, okay, if Gottlieb is right and we're going to have half of our population inoculated from this virus, you know, at some point in the spring, which would be at this point um, ahead of expectation. And then we throw in all of this extra stimulus um, at a time where, you know, people are just ready to reopen, whether it be Mm -hmm. a consumer, whether it be corporates ready to spend. That could be a really, really toxic setup for risk asset valuations. And that's where we want to go next here because you track a couple metrics on the valuation front um, that are near and dear
0: to your heart. Yeah. And this is a, this is a great. Uh, what do they call that an HT, Dan, when they do the H and then the slash? It's called the, the hat T. tip on the line. Yeah. So I'm going to give it right on the line. I'm going to give a hat <laughs> tip to the Northman trader because he's been talking about this seemingly for the last year and a half. And by the second now, this thing continues to grow. And this is basically U.S. stock market cap to GDP. And we're we're flirting with, if I may use that term, 200 percent. In other words, The market cap, of effectively the S&P 500, is twice that of U.S. GDP. And that numerator continues to grow. And that denominator, despite all the money being thrown around, uh, continues to sort of flatline. And that's a bit of a, and I'll use the term, which is brood. The the greatest investor in history, according to many, is Warren Buffett. And his sort of line in the sand for this very metric is about 120 to 125 percent where he starts getting concerned. And here we are at 195%. And that's scary. Now, what that also leads me to is to a guest we had on Fast Money Monday night um, talking about effectively how valuations are going to have to continue to move higher. And and in your, your term, Dan, the gymnastics these analysts and economists have to do to justify their numbers is extraordinary. I've never been one. I've never been able to touch my toes but these guys are not only touching their toes; you know, they're doing those back bends that feel as though your your body's going to break in half. And now we're talking about uh, a potential twenty five to twenty eight times uh, forward multiple for the S and P five hundred. Saying it doesn't really matter in this environment, I think valuations always matter. And oh, by the way, I think fundamentals always matter as well, Dan.
1: Yeah. So what's really going on is mental gymnastics, right? If you're an economist and you work for a big financial institution or you're a strategist, you have career risk of being on the wrong side of a massive, massive move. And so listen, I don't fault them. You know, you can't just go bearish. You can't just put a 3000 target on the S&P 500 because valuations don't make sense. You have to try to figure out what everyone else is looking at and how that might play out. And, you know, I think back to, about 1999 or 2000, you know, when we had the surging Nasdaq, these were companies that did not have meaningful earnings at the time. And, you know, strategists and analysts had to come up with a lot of new metrics to kind of value these companies. I think there's some of that going on right now and, you know, it's very easy for us okay, Doomers to say it's different this time, but at the end of the day, it's just, you know, the stuff that goes on, it happens in every cycle here, right? And the fact that Warren Buffett hasn't been seen of or heard of talking about his GDP, the the, the people are running scared, man, you know? And so, you know, and this brings me to, you know, what we like to do here in the macro setup is kind of bring some things we're not trying to be doomers here we're just trying to kind of just give the
0: viewers a little sense of the things that we're kind of filing away we're filing away a little bit and before you go to that slide i just want to mention one thing you said doing the mental gymnastics you know in in my opinion what we have here are in large part analysts or economists that have an answer and they're trying to get to that answer so they're plugging in the numbers to get there instead of having the numbers and then determining what the answer is. So it, it's. An, I know that's somewhat nuanced, but it's important. They're trying to justify, you know, how do we get to these valuations? And they're doing everything they possibly can to get there. Anyway, Dan, I know as they say, I used to say, we have another slide that we want to show the folks, but I'll let you in, in no, the words you of Match to... <laughs> Game
1: slide it, Earl. That's where you were going with that. Yep. I thought you were going to say what we've got here is a failure no. to communicate. Um, you know, listen... Here, here's this, this headline caught my eye on Friday and this is from Bloomberg and it was the story was talking about, um, you know, junk bond and leverage loan issuance. And, and it was about here, here. Here's the headline. Junk bond buyers are so eager to buy debt that they're going to companies and asking them to borrow more money. They're basically too eager for this this search for yield, that they're going to junk companies that issue junk debt, okay? And they're circumventing bankers, who are usually the ones who are dying to get this out to their customers. It just seems that there's a lot of really odd things going on right now. And when you see junk yields as low as they are, I think they're at all-time lows right now, it also tells you that a lot, it's not just the mental gymnastics, it's a a lot of people who are crunching the numbers are moving the goalposts here. Um, you know, Listen, it's really hard to call this sort of stuff in the moment. We know that this can go on much longer than you can stay solvent. And we're not trying to encourage anybody to kind of take the other side of these emerging bubbles. But make no mistake, they are bubbles and they are emerging. And let's see how long they go on for. What I like to do is track this stuff period over period, and that gives us a good um, sense for some of that stuff. You know, so listen, there we are. Investors are desperate for yield, for product. Um, You know, we have these dual sort of tailwinds, which might be this this vaccine rollout and the stimulus. So I get it. People are all in. They're looking at China and they're saying, we could be China in three to six months away. Our economy is humming here. But what do you do with these um, charts here? We got these, uh, the S&P 500 to start at, Guy. I mean, this is one where... Listen, it's been a slow grind higher since it broke out in November following the vaccine news. And then obviously the news about the election, which a lot of investors were pricing in greater than expected stimulus, better control of the virus. We're getting all that. What do you do with the S&P 500 here?
0: Well, I mean, to the great Dennis Gartman, that's the lower left to the upper right. And that's a yeah. great looking chart without question. And, and the good news about this chart is there have been pullbacks along the way without question. The bad news, in my opinion, in this chart is we get you know, sort of farther and farther away from that 200 day moving average. And as you know, Dan, because you've done this for a long time, we do revert to the mean uh, over periods of time. And we haven't reverted back to that mean, basically, I want to say since almost the fall, uh, if not before that. I mean, the real time is when we reverted back was back in June. So here we are now I think you have the exact numbers of where we are north of the 200-day moving average. But again, that number continues to grow, and that's a bit of an unhealthy brew as well.
1: Yeah, so really interesting, that 200-day moving average at about 33.86 or so is exactly where the S&P 500 was on November 3rd on Election Day, which I think is really interesting. If you guys recall, we kind of sold off um, from mid-October into Election Day. So, you know, I look to that 3,500-level Um, That 3400, 3500 level, that to me is really good technical support. And I think if you're really bullish about all those things that we just mentioned, as far as stimulus sweeping its way through, better management of the uh, the virus and and vaccine rollout, then you're going to want to pull back to reload on a lot of things here because you know this could catch some fire later on in the year. But I fear the higher we go right now, this early in the year, um, the worse it might be when we do have a reason to sell off. And just remember. You know that expression, people,
0: risk happens fast. Let's go to the Very NASDAQ fast. here. I mean, no, because- but you know, it's interesting, Dan. You know, we say that, we throw that out there, but it's extraordinarily how fast it happens. And you just go back to this time last year when everything seemed to be on cruise control and you saw how quickly the air was taken out of the sails. Now people will say that was some exogenous event that was, you know, once in a hundred year type of thing, black swan, whatever you want to call it. But I got to tell you something, really, if, if you look at under the hood, as they say, that things were set in motion in September of the prior year. So just keep in mind that the warning signs were there for that move last February, March. And I think the same warning signs are there again. To your point, things do go down faster than they go up, which brings us obviously to the next chart, which is the NASDAQ.
1: Yeah, what's really interesting, though, to the NASDAQ 100 in particular here, we know that six stocks, it's Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Tesla. They now make up, I I think, over $8 trillion in market cap, about 45% of the weight of this NASDAQ 100. And, you know, let's let's take Tesla out of it. We know the parabolic move that that has had, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But when you think about Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and the quarters that they just put up, they were amazing, right? And they're still below their all-time highs. I know Microsoft briefly made a new one. Apple briefly made a new one before its earnings. Amazon has yet to do so. And then there's, of course, Alphabet, Google which did make a new high and did put up also a great number. But the fact that those stocks are going sideways to me is not particularly bearish longer term by any means. I continue to think that they're going to be the drivers of the NASDAQ, for some time to come, but the fact that they have not gone parabolic is probably a pretty decent thing. We're seeing the rally broaden out a little bit, but the problem that I see with the broadening out is it's broadening out to things that are far more speculative than them. So to me, you know, if you have the underperformance like we're seeing right now in the mega cap names, ex-Tesla, and you were to see a pullback, you're going to see the speculative stuff come down really hard. You're going to see maybe the mega cap stuff not go down as hard, but then you're going to set up for a nice opportunity. Look at that now. NASDAQ chart guy. I put that 200-day in there. It's at about 11,315. You see that air pocket um, between that breakout level from that September high, and you've got a lot of room down to that 200-day moving average. Do you think that we see that, um, at least a breach of that level at some point in the next month or two?
0: Absolutely. I, I absolutely do. And we first started doing the macro setup in October, if you recall. You know, we had talked about the potential For the Nasdaq to maybe get towards that twelve thousand four hundred prior all time high, but fail, and you know what? It actually did happen. If you go back and look, we did get close, and then we had that sell off down to eleven thousand. Obviously, that was short lived, and now we're off to the races. But you know that level, that sort of September ish, late August, early September high of twelve thousand four hundred. That makes sense for a number of different reasons, and I think that to me is absolutely in the crosshairs if you're trading options or knockouts and those things. So that would be sort of the, I would have my cursor on that again, late August, early September high, if people still do those types of things. And, you know, I think it's reasonable to see that 200 day moving average, which we basically haven't seen since last spring. So just keep this in mind, folks, I get it how everything looks so fantastic now. And there's a chip shortage and the SMA is off to the races. And Tesla is sort of the anchor of this entire thing, pulling everything higher. But you know, again, valuations matter. And the farther we get away from that 200 day, the scarier it looks to me, Dan. Yeah. So let's move to the Russell 2000, the small caps. You just mentioned this earlier when we were
1: talking about the reopening trade, the economic reopening trade. We know that this is a very uh, economically sensitive group, and we know that's made up of a lot of financials, energy. Um, industrials, and so obviously domestically focused here, this group um, really showed relative underperformance um, for a good part of 2020 during the pandemic, given all that uncertainty as kind of the vaccines became a bit more clear about the timing this year it's just exploded and you know since the russell is up like 42% since election day um i think it's up about 40% from its 200 day moving average just look at what's happened this week alone guy when you see an indice um, of this scope move like it's had In this week or the last week alone, what does that tell you here? I mean, it just can't continue this way. And you look at how steep that uptrend is over the last two and a half months. Is this the one that you would go after if you're a trader looking to pick on a major indice for a short, for a correction?
0: No question about it. This is the most problematic of of the three now is, is the Russell, whether it's the RTY or the whatever you're looking at. To me, this is the most problematic for a number of different reasons, because you're pricing in. So much good news in this. And if you look at this, to Dan's point, this is trading like an individual momentum stock instead of an index. I mean, it really shouldn't trade this way, if you think about it. It's not set up to trade this way. And again, the farther we get away from that, basically 200-day, which coincides with the prior all-time high, the worse and worse, the scarier this gets. And oh, by the way, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, this effectively, you don't think there's inflation, folks? Well, guess what? There's inflation, and you just have to look under the hood for the Russell chart or the small cap or the RTY to see it. And we're going to talk about rates as well. Well, those rates creeping higher, I mean, that's basically an overlay of this chart, Dan, and we can discuss that. And a lot of people will say, well, rates going higher is a great sign, improving economy. Yeah, maybe there's some truth in that, but I think there's a lot more to it than just that. So out of all three charts that we just mentioned, to me, the Russell is the scariest. And that back and down to. Basically, that 1640-ish, I think, level makes a lot of sense. And that is light years away now.
1: Yeah, it's really funny when you use the term scary about the Russell. It's all how you look at it, man. About six months ago, or, or, or probably a little bit less, at one point Apple's market cap was greater than that of the entire Russell 2000. I think we talked about it on the macro setup. Apple gained a trillion dollars in market cap off of its lows in March. And this was a time where, yeah, you know, the Russell had a rebound um, in April, May, that sort of thing, but was not keeping pace with this mega cap brethren because of the lack of visibility about about the economy and the virus, that sort of thing. All right, we got to move to the VIX. You've been, you know, I'm kind of the options guy, you know, all that sort of stuff. You have been on fire with VIX, using it as an input kind of kind of guide your where to kind of pick some stocks up or or think about equity risk on, at different little levels. You know what I mean. So where to buy the dip, where to take profits, that sort of thing. So we have a two year chart of the VIX. You know, you take out that massive spike in February and March. You see basically declining. You see lower highs okay when it does spike but you're also seeing massive support at that breakout level from february um
0: just below current levels
1: here what's your take here what is the vix telling you at 21 right now
0: well 21's been that support level and your line basically tells the story and we've said for a while every time the vix gets down to these levels it's been a short-term uh, opportunity to look for a sell-off in the broader market now th- that's been true the problem is those sell-offs have lasted about a day and you just go back to a couple of Fridays ago, and we talked about this on the macro setup last week, when the VIX <clears> basically went in a three or four hour period of time from 21 and a half, I think it actually printed 40 or just short of 40. And obviously that was the levels we saw back in June on that type of day. And I think on that Friday, I think if I'm not mistaken, the Dow Jones was down about 685 points or so, which seems like a lot, but in the context of where we've gone to the upside and, the context of what 680 points is at a Dow, basically 30,000, it's not all that much. So for the VIX to double in a three-hour time doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think that speaks to a level of complacency, but it also speaks to the fact that I think the whole thing's on a hair trigger now. And, you know, obviously it corrected right back down to this 21 level. You have to ask yourself, next time are we going to have that big a bounce? Is it going to be the the self going to be that short-lived Are we going to finally see this whole thing come to fruition? And the more times we go up to that 30, 35, 40 level in the VIX, the more I'm inclined to say that it ain't going to stop next time. It's going to continue to ratchet higher. Are we going to see the 85 level we saw in March? I don't think so. But I definitely think this thing can go north of 40 in a very short period of time, Dan. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned complacency. Um, You know, it just seems to be, let's move on to Bitcoin here
1: because this is one that... that, uh, there you go. Because, you know, when you think about it, it seems that, you know, we had this discussion on Fast Money last night. Uh, and, and here's the headline. The headline yesterday morning that um, Tesla replaced some of its cash on its balance sheet with one and a half trillion dollars worth of Bitcoin. They were buying it in billion, January. Billion.
0: billion. Did it, what did I say? Billion. You said trillion, but I just I knew you didn't mean it, but I just wanted to correct in case anybody was yeah. listening closely. But, but very interesting, okay? So, so Bitcoin rallies
1: 20% off of that. It's yeah. got a market cap now of $860 billion. We're not going to go into the merits of it. I mean, man, you say one negative word about Bitcoin, which I happened to do last night. I actually think I was pretty balanced. I made the case why it makes perfect sense for a company that has an $800 billion market cap who believes what they do if they want to start um, building up a reserve of a cryptocurrency that if their customers want to transact in it, you know, it's less than 10% of their cash on hand. Have at it, okay? That makes sense, especially if you're Elon Musk. You're the guy who's going to change the electric grid and you're going to take us to Mars. You know what I mean? That doesn't seem like the craziest thing, but Bitcoin's reaction up 20% is pretty interesting to me. And it also really, what it does to me, it converges or merges, I guess, Two massive cults when you think about from the investment community the way that people think about Elon Musk and Tesla and their opportunities um, to do whatever it is that he wants to do, and then when you think about what this new financial utopia looks like with cryptocurrencies, you push them together and you get this like meme to, 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 to rule all memes, I guess. Um, and you know that to me is speaking a little bit of some of that euphoria that we're talking about right now.
0: Well, as I said last on last night's show, I mean, as long as it's board approval, as long as they're not hurting anybody I mean, yeah. basically to a certain extent shareholder approval, which you're getting in the form of the stock, they should be basically allowed to do whatever they want. I have no issue with Tesla or Elon Musk, you know adding Bitcoin to the portfolio, replacing their cash position with Bitcoin. My problem is the um the glib way that he uses Twitter. I mean, this is yeah. the the CEO of a publicly, I think you know better than I, Dan, it's probably the eighth largest company in the world right now. And the fact that he can, you know, tweet game stonks at yeah. 4.30 a couple of weeks ago or put Bitcoin in his profile or those types of things. I mean, imagine if somebody like Jamie Dimon or another CEO did something like that. Uh, there'd, be, there'd be a public outcry. For some reason, Elon Musk seems to be above the fray with that stuff. And I think it's problematic. I think he's skating on really thin ice and don't okay boomer me and it's not get off my lawn stuff. It's just sort of reading the tea leaves here. So you know, we're going to talk about micro strategies in a second as well. I think the reason why Bitcoin did what it did is because it's more proof of acceptance, proof of concept. The fact that now you have, I think it was uh I want to say, Man Life, or one of the one of the life insurance companies. Obviously, Square. Then you saw MicroStrategy is now yeah. more and more acceptance uh, by mainstream companies. It just lends itself to the exact thesis that Brian Kelly pointed out three or four years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, we have a five year chart of Bitcoin. You know, we had that retail driven frenzy in late two thousand and seventeen. We saw double from 10,000 to 20,000 in a month or so. And then it spent, you know, about a year and a half just, you know, getting clobbered, um, you know. And so now we, you know, got back late last year to that 20,000 level and that breakout is epic. It doubled again, you know, in a couple months here. And here we are on this, this kind of meme, um, you know, I, I guess you call it Musk sort of stuff, and it's just surging higher. It traded forty seven thousand. Um, you know, all the power to him. You know, people are just going to tell us we don't get it. As far as what Elon Musk is able to do on social, or you know, kind of testing the kind of norms. I mean, listen, guy, I'll just say this: is that maybe that this, this is the way it's going to be for here on out. Maybe Jamie Dimon is the dinosaur, and you yeah. and I are, are just that. You know, like we're kind of chipping at his heels a little bit, and maybe the game is changing. And, you know, all the power to them. I'll just bring up the Tesla chart when you just look at what happened, you know, over the last five years in Bitcoin and you see the parabolic move in just the last year, you know, gaining what Bitcoin's gained six, seven hundred billion dollars in market cap. The Tesla chart over the last five years, you know, with an eight hundred billion dollar market cap has done the same thing. So to me, there are two very similar things in concept. Um, you know, Tesla is, yes. Yet to prove their concept, I think Bitcoin and still it starts being really used as um, a transaction tool. It's not a currency. It's just a store of value. So we're going to see. And those two cults just merged. Let's go to the micro strategy. Real quick before
0: I I want to get the micro. This is important to point out. And I brought this up a few times on the show. But, you know, you go back to May of last year when I think Tesla was making an all time high pre split of about seven hundred and three dollars. It might have been the first, second day of May or so. And Elon Musk tweeted something to the effect of the stock is too expensive or it's too rich or doesn't make sense at these levels. You you would think given the run the stock had had to that point, you'd have a massive pullback. The sell off lasted a day. And for me, Dan, and I've said it a number of times, that's all I needed to know about what's going on with Tesla here. And that was 700 pre-split. Now it's trading basically either side of $850. So just you can do the math and figure it out. It's been a parabolic move. And you know, quite frankly, that move will continue because what regardless of seemingly what comes out news wise for the company or office Twitter account, nobody seems to care. Now, what I will say is nobody cares until they do. But we don't seem to be anywhere close to that. And I do think it's important to pull up micro strategies you were just going to say. So I'll throw it back to you.
1: Well, yeah, you interviewed the CEO of this company, um, I think, on Power Lunch a couple weeks ago. Michael Saylor. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. Michael Saylor. And, you know, he's obviously caught a lot of attention for two, twofold. They, they started by he's a huge Bitcoin evangelist, all the power to him. You know, he's obviously making a fortune doing it and he put it on their corporate um, balance sheet. The company now has a 12 billion dollar market cap. I think it traded as low. I don't know. Uh, what was the low? It was $90 um, a year ago on March 19th, 2020. And here it is at $1,220, 12000000000 billion market cap. And that all has to do with the fact that they've been buying Bitcoin. They did yeah. a secondary offering and they bought Bitcoin. And I just want to really, you know, you can look at that chart. You can make your own decisions about that. This is not um, a proxy anymore about the company, its management, its products, its services, its earnings power. This is about Bitcoin. So, just again, you know, careful what you, um, you know, what you think you're investing yeah. in. And you know, I'll just look at this this the next slide really quickly. Just looking at the sales of this company over the last five years. In 2016, they had 512 million dollars in sales. In 2019, they had 486. Last year, 480. They've been declining, steady, but declining. And this is an environment where you know tech, high tech software, these things have been going ballistic, right? Because it's really people willing to pay for growth. So this thing was nowhere. If you look at that net income, I mean, they barely are profitable on those um, sales. So, you know, is it gimmicky? Maybe, you know, this guy Saylor did a presentation, I think, and he put it online about how corporate treasuries can start buying Bitcoin the way they did. I mean, for him, this seems to be, and we had a guest and I'll let you speak to what vincent daniel said so he's one of the big short guys we do a podcast called all on the tape with danny moses he was one of the guys featured in the big shorts and we had his ex-partners on on the tape um last week and vincent daniel from queens said something like i know some old school street ponzi schemes he said that bitcoin might be the most well orchestrated ponzi scheme of our lifetimes and he didn't say that by saying it's a fraud but, you know, like speak to what that means in a way. I mean, this is something that the concept is not proven, but a lot of people are into it and it takes more people to be into it for it to continue to work. And it may work, right? It's not yeah. like Madoff where there was nothing, you know what I mean? There was no thought process other than fraud. Is that what's going on with microstrategy? right Here's
0: I mean, it, well, first of all, it appears to be, right? And I'm not suggesting, listen, micro strategies, if you go back to that prior chart, just real quick, you'll see okay. for basically... Five or six years, this was a company in terms of the stock that was doing nothing, moving sideways, on a broader market that was exploding. Oh, by the way, you know they should have been in a growth area where there was no growth. And then, obviously, they—I don't want to say stumbled upon because I think that's—that's—I don't think that's fair. But you know, they made this decision, obviously, to do a secondary offering, use the proceeds to buy Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin might have doubled over that time. I'm not sure exactly where they purchased it. It doesn't really matter. But the stock has obviously gone. From 200 and change up to 1,200. So the exponential move in the stock is suggesting something else. So let me tell you something. If you do have a negative view in Bitcoin or if you just think it's going to do this back and fill as quickly as this micro strategy has gone higher, you know, it stands to reason you're going to see a similar move to the downside. I'm not suggesting you do anything, but just keep that in mind. But in terms of, you know, what, what Daniel said or Vince, I did that again. What Vinny, what Vinny said, and this is a guy with two first names, which is why I'm a bit confused. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a self-fulfilling thing. And to Dan's point, the more you see acceptance, the more these uh, multinationals and the more these CEOs sort of sign up, the more inclined this thing is to continue to ratchet higher. And there's that fear of missing out, it's manifesting itself now. And Brian Kelly on Monday Night Show talked about the gold market having a $10 trillion market cap. And if Bitcoin were to garner even 20%, you know, you can do the math as to where the, um, the underlying asset can go. And I, again, I have no idea if that's justified or not, but I think that's the gymnastics to go back to the original comments we made that a lot of people are doing.
1: Yeah. And listen, it's an easy one to make. I mean, a lot of people would make the case that gold doesn't really serve uh, any sort of purpose as an inflation hedge. And, and you know, the digital currency like Bitcoin could be a lot more efficient. It just takes a lot of buy-in. And I guess that's kind of the point. So, you know, Guy, you do share something with these kind of crypto crazies in a way. You 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 share a disdain for the for the U.S. dollar. And and you've been really spot on for the last year on this about why you think it's gonna to continue to make lower highs and lower lows. And we've been talking on the Macro Setup for months now um, about that, just you've been in the camp of selling every rally. We have a one-year chart here. You see that downtrend. You see that break of support um, just below 92. You see the bounce that we had from, what, 89 or so, just below 92, got rejected. And I have a little circle on that chart because we're kind of breaking back below that right. downtrend that's been in place since March. What's your take here, man? And, and what what are the, some of the knock-on effects of a dollar if we were to break that low
0: from early January? Yeah, well, I definitely have been bearish. But you also brought up a, a month, month and a half ago that too many people are on that side of the boat. and You actually thought you'd see the bounce that we subsequently have seen. So kudos to you, number one. Number two, I still think the path is lower. And I don't know if you're a fan of Haiku, uh, Dan. I know I am in the whole 575 thing. But if you're looking for a great five uh, word, repudiation. And I bring that up because I think what you're seeing from micro strategies, from Tesla, from all these different companies is a repudiation of the US dollar. I mean, they're telling you exactly what we've been trying to tell you for a while. they see no value in it. And some people would say, well, they're diversifying away. I would say this is just the first step. And, you know, the more the Fed goes down this rabbit hole, the more the central banks, you know, you're seeing a global race to zero in currencies. And again, it's going to manifest well, itself in what I think is a lower U.S. dollar for the rest okay. of the year. Okay, and
1: I have a couple thoughts on that, okay? And I got added on the Twitter last night after my comments about on, on Fast Money about this. You know, when you think about it, okay, they can't regulate Bitcoin, but do you think the U.S., Um, government is going to let the U.S. dollar be replaced as the the reserve currency of the world without a fight. You know what I mean? So people are like, they can't regulate it. That's the whole point. You missed out, Boomer, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what? They can regulate companies that operate in their country about how they use the digital currencies, how they pay taxes on it, how they use the transact. There's a lot of things that they can do. And I I also think that it's really ironic. And I just want to make this point. You know, all of these guys, and they're pretty much guys, we have some really smart friends who are females into the crypto world, but the the real influencers, they've all made their millions or billions, right, based on centralized companies here in this country, based on, you know, whatever our policy has been about the U.S. dollar. So for them to get everybody else on board and say, oh, no, 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 you're going to make your millions or your billions from here on out in a decentralized crypto sort of world, and the dollars going away seems slightly disingenuous to me and it's not like it's some revolution from the millennial class they're the ones who's being taken along for this ride it's the millionaires and the billionaires generally white dudes right you know what i mean who basically crushed it here in america so you know i I just find it this battle is not over, um, and I think there's going to be, you know, just like we're seeing a massive peak right now, and I'm not telling you it's over, we're going to see some massive troughs, too, and the sentiment's going to move around, um, and I'm not so sure you want to count the U.S. dollar out. No, so and,
0: and, you know, it's interesting you say, and and this is somewhat nuanced, but you, you're talking about the dollar not being the reserve currency of the world anymore, and I would, I would submit you're probably right, but that doesn't mean it can't continue to lose value in a meaningful right. way, So, and those are two separate things, so For the trade, I do think this dollar, which has bounced, I think, you know, this is the next leg lower and we'll see. And I absolutely think we're going to take out the lows. And again, I've mentioned this a number of times, but, you know, go back to a note that Citi had now a few months ago saying they saw a 20 percent decline in the U.S. dollar in 2021. I think they're spot on with that one, Dan.
1: All right. Well, so on the flip side of the Dixie, we know a big portion of the U.S. dollar index is the euro. So you're targeting a move easily back to the 2018 lows in the Dixie of 88. But let's look at the one year chart of the euro because, you know, the dollar's going lower. That would kind of mean that the euro has caught a bid. It's obviously had a really nice move Um, in March. I think that low was about 106 or so. Here we are. We're kind of straddling that 120 level. Um, We obviously had Higher highs here, Um, just on the euro, because we know um, some of our folks at at Nadex and IG um, are trading this cross here. Are there any levels that you find interesting? And then we have the five-year of the euro, which really shows just how
0: steep that move has been off the lows. Yeah. And that's a chart I'd like to go to to give you levels, because I think this one really shows you where we're headed, in my opinion. I think we're headed back to that February of 2018 high. Uh, which came in around, if memory serves me, 126 or 125 and a half or so. And I think that's what this thing is setting up for. That's a very steep uptrend that you drew. And we, abs- we absolutely did breach it, but we're now back through it. And I do think this is the next level. So again, if you're dollar bear, which I am, by definite, well, almost by definition, you have to think this euro is going to take the next leg higher. And I do so. If you're looking for levels at 125 and a half level from February of 2018 makes a lot of sense Dan. Okay
1: okay, so here's the pivot to rates, all right? So when we started lowering interest rates back during the global financial crisis, meaning we are financial or our, our you know the US Fed that sort of thing, one of the main goals was to weaken the dollar, right? And when you think about that 100%. So to, right. So 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 we wanted to weaken the dollar and this is obviously um, what, you know, one of the, the, the backdrops of, of just, you know, easy monetary policy and ZERP and we have negative interest rates all over the world, what, $20 trillion in, in sovereign debt That or maybe it's somewhere in the high teens right now or something like that. But when you look at our, our 10-year U.S. Treasury yield and we got as high as 119 yesterday or so, I have a one-year chart here. You've been calling for higher rates. I know that you think that that's the one thing that could really set... Um, equity investors kind of in panic mode. If we were to see a rise too quickly, what is the one-year chart of the ten-year U.S. Treasury yield telling you? And then we got to go to my ten-year chart because this is where I think the interplay for the markets versus rates versus the dollar is really going to come in over the next you know year or so.
0: Well, the chart tells me of a series of higher lows and higher highs. Obviously, yeah. the chart also tells me that this, the ten-year interest rate in U.S. should be one of the most liquid um securities or at whatever you want to call it in the world and we have more than doubled since august now you say ah, it's not a big deal which sh-. you shouldn't have this kind of bond volatility in my opinion for a developed market effectively for the united states but here we are uh, this is something that should move sideways to well, grind on, over on, many years on. we shouldn't hold go from 52 on. basis points to in the course of six months, Dan. And you're going to say we never should have been down there. But well, you know, that's true. But we did get down there.
1: I look at the move guy. Look, just look at this one year chart again. OK, so we saw what happened in February and March. You know, the Fed was quick to take action when they saw the pandemic hitting our shores and they started lowering interest rates. So you saw that precipitous drop in the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield. They took Fed funds basically to zero. Um, and look at how it banged around over the late spring and the summer when it looked like in early June that maybe the economy was going to be doing better. You know, rates started to they came back, they made a new low. And then you've had this move from 50 basis points in early August. And I actually think it's very orderly. I I don't see too much um, like volatility, short-term volatility. That's the thing that would make me nervous. So when you're talking about the volatility um, in the last six to nine months from 50 basis points to 1.2, I say, how did we get here? We got here by inching up. So I don't really see that as a huge problem here especially if you're looking at the rate differential to other developed countries too you know specifically Europe so to me you know really i guess the point is is like what's it saying you look at 1% that looks like really good near term support you see that uptrend is still intact so what do you think from here i mean listen if it were to go from 1 to 2% that would be a problem in, in a very short period of time. If it were to continue to inch up and hold that line and work its way back up, to me, that's actually bullish for equities. It's bullish
0: for our economy. I don't think it's that. I just don't want to see it happen too quickly. Now, no, it's to interesting. Now, now, it's interesting what you said. If it we were to go to 1% to 2% in a short period of time, basically doubling, you know, that's problematic. And what I'm submitting to you is we've actually, we have doubled in my opinion in a short period of time. So that's equally problematic for me, but that, I think that's the fascinating thing. That's what makes markets. And we yep. definitely have a different opinion on this. But I think to show the 10-year chart, I think this might give us a little bit of a better picture in terms of you know where we could go and what it means if we get there and then trade through there. And obviously you drew the lines and going back to 2012, that 1.5% has been support effectively a number of times. It was support until it broke it. And now we're not close yet, I understand. But if we were to sort of trend up to that one5 see what happens when we get there. Now, logic dictates that if we do get there, we're going to fail and trade lower. That would be the you know logic dictates. I would submit that if we get there and start to really ratchet through in a meaningful way, that's where we get concerned, and that's sort of your line of demarcation.
1: Whoa, that's some like serious rhetoric right there, line of demarcation. That's not a hike. It's only six syllables, so... You know, it's really funny. I got added last night. I actually think I had very balanced commentary about what Tesla did with Bitcoin. And then, like, later on, a little bit about what I thought the convergence of the two people were like, You're not a coiner, you're a boomer, you're this, you're that, or whatever. But, dude, I own some coins. I've been making money too, okay? But you know what? Here's the thing. I am having a hard time figuring out how to make money in stocks right now. Um, It just seems to be, just to kind of come full circle a little bit, Guy, about what we started out talking about, I think that just we have um, high levels of complacency. We have mental gymnastics going around, people trying to justify their targets, whether they be individual names or markets, that sort of thing. Um, I am worried about a rate move happening too quickly. We do have that chart right there, the 10-year U.S. Treasury chart. To me, if you look at that 2012 low near one4 in five and the 10 years, 16, uh, 2016, the same level, 2019, where it bounced, same level. I look at that and I see massive technical resistance. So maybe rates never really get going um, in a way, even with all the stimulus, the monetary and the fiscal, and then uh, the vaccine going better. Um, But if they do to your point um, and they happen too quickly through that one five level, I think stocks are vulnerable here. I just don't know how to pick that level. I keep trying with with options, with put spreads, that sort of thing in the spy uh, in the QQQ. I'm kind of moving on. Maybe I try the Russell um, next time. But at least the coin gains are making up for some of those equity option losses.
0: Now, and I think this is something you said last week that sort of resonates with me. Invest. And this is listen, this is just a a. Rash, this is a very broad scope thing, so don't at me. But to a certain extent, investing is easy because over time stocks go higher, and trading is by definition very hard. And that seems to be it seems to be for people like us to be getting harder and harder. And maybe that's the inflection point when you finally just say, I can't do it anymore. But we'll see. But just to sort of button up this last conversation in terms of yields, I happen to think the real risk to this market is what nobody's paying attention to rates rising in a precipitous way. And I do believe we're on the verge of that because I think there's inflation in all the places that the Fed doesn't acknowledge or doesn't want to measure. It doesn't really matter because it's there. And at some point, that genie is going to be out of the bottle if it's not out already. And that's going to manifest itself to me in lower stock prices, Dan. But that's just my two cents.
1: All right. Well, I, I, you know you know, I value your two cents. No, I do. Though- and I-
0: even though we don't use the cents anymore. But well, but and, thank and you. as just I would thought you would say, but two cents ain't worth two cents anymore. Thank <laughs> you, Federal Reserve. Anyway, and folks, that's been the macro setup brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Nadex, the fastest growing U.S. Exchange for binary options, call spreads. And Dan? Knockouts, brother. Damn straight. I'll see you later. <laughs> see ya.